Hello and thank you for listening to episode 47 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and in this episode I'm going to be chatting with a man whose IMDB page is extensive, to say the very least. There will be a link to it on the podcast notes on our webpage, so please click on it and have a look. Uh, and while you're having a look, uh, sit back, relax and get comfortable. Listen to the man himself as I chat with Robert Chapin. Right, Bob, first of all, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I've been looking forward to this chat for so long. Oh, yeah, same here. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, the thing is, where do I start? You, you've, you've been involved in so many things across so many different you know, visual effects, acting, producing, directing. Uh, the list goes on. So I'm not what I thought. I'm not going to do it in a chronological order. I'm going to sort of use <laughs> IMDb as my hub because then everybody that listens to us, they can click on IMDb use that as the main hub for the stuff we're going to talk about and if you go to there and type in Robert Chapin you'll find that visual effects is the one that you've got the most credits for and you currently and I'm looking now you've got 67 credits for visual effects now if you'll just allow me a moment to read out some of these (laughs) because oh my god this is this the list is incredible (laughs) you've got early stuff from like Robocop 3 The Nutty Professor Dante's Peak Con Air uh, The Big Lebowski Armageddon, mm-hmm. one of my great all-time favourite films. Muppets from Space. Um, Queen of the Damned, great vampire movie. We'll talk about vampire mm-hmm. movies as we get towards The Hunted, of course. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick, Fantastic Four, X-Men Last Stand, Night at the Museum, Terminator Sarah Chronicle, uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, Shutter Island, The Grey, The Flash TV series, The Hunted, again, which I just teased, we'll talk about, uh, <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron, and then the, the final credit on it is Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> what, it's like, I've got so many things to ask you about this. First of all, it has to be, of course, how did you get involved in the visual effects? Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny you should mention IMDb because I do a lot of different things, and I had four different. There were four different Robert Chapins on IMDb for the longest time. It took me about ten years to convince them that I was all the same person. <laughs> it's like, well, you're surely you're not the visual effects guy and the actor and the direct, you know, and the stunt guy and you know, and the writer. So. <laughs> But like, no, really, I am, you know, and uh, yeah, it took, it took a while to convince him. But uh, OK, so what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did I can believe that as well, knowing IMDb. Uh, yeah. How did how did you get involved in visual effects in the first oh, place? Oh, God. You know, it, yeah, I was involved uh, way before there was visual effects classes. And it's it's really very frustrating because Tron came out in like 80 or 81 or 82 and that was my senior year in high school. And I was like, this is fantastic. I have to do this. And I was involved in some of the first computer classes that were held in, uh, in high school. So that, back in those days, it was like a TRS-80. You know, Radio Shack had their you know, home computers. And they had just started offering computer classes. But there was nothing out there for visual effects. And it was what I wanted to do. So, the, you know, the best I could do was to, you know, to get a, a computer science degree. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I got a degree in programming and systems and, you know, figured that might lead to something. But, you know, it wasn't until I came to L.A. <clears throat> and I happened to be, you know, I was doing like database design, but I was acting at the same time and I was kind of doing stunts at the same time. I started that by doing Renaissance fairs and I'm jumping around a little bit. But but basically I lo- I lucked into doing visual effects because I happened to be at a party. 
And it was a party <laughs> for a buddy of mine who was uh, uh, a regular at the Renaissance fairs. And he was having a party, a uh, birthday party. But also at the uh, party was uh, Jamie Dixon and Rebecca Marie. And they, uh, they ran a place called uh, Pacific Data Images. And they had an L.A. office at the time. And Rebecca, uh, Jamie's wife, was uh, really into sword play. And she wanted to learn how to sword fight. And I was like, well, you know, I can teach you how to do that. But I really would like to, you know, learn visual effects and get into that. So that was our trade. Okay. So the very first studio I got into was, yeah, teaching <laughs> teaching Rebecca how to sword fight <laughs> while I started, you know, on the ground level doing visual effects. And I kind of taught myself their system within a couple months because I had, you know, at least a basic degree behind me. And from then on, it just, you know, I, I, I stuck to visual effects. It was, this was the early, early days of visual effects still, uh, early nineties. This is uh, and this was the company that did mostly a lot of music videos. So they did all the, uh, uh, all the Michael Jackson music videos, black and white. I worked on, yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, and David Byrne, I worked on one of his music videos at the time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where that all started. And what, for the geeks among us that are listening, what sort of software do you currently use as well when you're working on the effects? Well, when I work with PDI, they, all of the stuff is proprietary. Uh, so it's stuff they had developed at the time. And I was like, well, here I am. You know, I've learned all this great software. The downside is, is when I went on to the next company, no one used that software. Uh, so I had to, <laughs> so like, obviously it was all proprietary. So I, I, I vowed from then on that I would only use off the shelf software, whatever was most used in the industry. So the, the tools of choice right now for feature films and for most TV is, uh, uh for compositing is nuke mm -hmm. and for 3d is Maya. Um, and there's a lot of different plugins for everything, but those are, you know, the bread and butter of uh, visual effects. Yeah. What's some of the favorite effects that you've that you've worked on personally? Uh, you know, I, I when I started uh, uh, after I went from PDI, I went to a place called Computer Film Company, and they were mostly a compositing studio. But when I started getting into 3D, what they really needed was like elements. So if they had a snow scene, they needed snow. Or if they had blowing leaves, they needed leaves. Or they needed clouds or whatever. And that kind of led me down a path to doing mostly effects work, dynamics work. Mm -hmm. So anytime there's like fire or snow or or, or any like uh, dynamic uh, natural effects, that's the kind of stuff I sort of gravitated to. And so that became my specialty. And fortunately, you know, not a whole lot of everybody wanted to get into character effects. Uh, character work and that's something i really want to do as well but you know i kind of got pigeonholed into doing uh uh in dynamics which has been great for me because not a whole lot of people do it yeah um, i always find that my sort of favorite bit of cg as well because it's the cg that you don't really notice it's the stuff that yeah. d doesn't stand out with cg whereas when you go into the character work it it takes a hell of a lot of work i should imagine to really sell it i mean some of the stuff that's really been sold to me has been on the, like the recent planet of the ape movies and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm totally sold that they're real moving talking apes that, that are going on but well if you haven't seen jungle book yet oh my god i <laughs> haven't yet no i haven't absolutely amazing i you know i gave up halfway through trying to spot okay how because it's shot entirely in a green screen studio 
and you give up at some point trying to figure out where the line is and it's just a fabulous fabulous work and it's a great story too so uh, but yeah this the stuff i do mostly is uh, uh is dynamics work which is lends itself to stuff like um the the one of the shots i lucked into uh, was that uh, rose petal scene from American Beauty, which became this kind of iconic thing? Definitely. But it was, but it was one of the one of the things I appreciate about it is is the uh, with dynamics, it it uses real world like turbulence, and you give it kind of some rules. Uh, okay, so there's going to be gravity, and there's going to be turbulence. There's going to be wind. There's going to be internal dynamics, and and you know different weights and masses and stuff and you plug all this stuff in and you just sort of let it go and see what happens and a lot of times it's this you know it, it's it's this surprising surprising effect um and you just sort of get it give it the rules and give it a direction to go and it and it and it surprises you it's 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 pretty cool stuff do you find um, do you find yourself when you watch a movie though that you're sort of scrutinizing the effects and trying to pick out you know oh that's real no that's an effect well, I'll tell you, there's 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 a lot of movies I can't watch anymore because I've either worked on them, you know, either in a visual effects capacity or a or a sword capacity. We were talking, I was talking with a buddy about uh, Hook the other day, and you know, I, that was one of the first films I'd worked on for swordplay, and I just can't. After working on that film for six months, I can't. I haven't been able to watch the film since as a film, you know, because <laughs> there's so many stories associated. But back to back to visual effects. Um, I had a buddy who who was a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, and he had an invite to go to Weta to work on the show, and he said no, and he turned it down, and he and it was because he didn't want to, he wanted to be able to appreciate the films. Yeah, I mean it, it, <laughs> that's a huge sacrifice. It's like, it but dude, you could have worked on the films. Yeah, yeah, but I wouldn't have been able to watch it afterwards, because then you see all of the gaps and the bells and whistles and everything. It, there's a there's a shot in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon that I worked on. One of the final scenes where she jumps off this bridge into the clouds. And they had actually, when you're working on shots and doing revision, sometimes they pull, you know, not the latest version that you're working on. And I went to see it in the theater and like, oh, my God, they had used a bad, they had used an earlier version where you see there's a huge mat line right in the middle of it. Oh, no. And it's and it's invisible to anyone else except me. And I'm like, it's just like someone had taken my crap and smeared it all over the screen. It was just the most <laughs> embarrassing moment of my life. And I'm like, oh God, you use that. So I can't watch that movie. Uh, there's there's a bunch of and there's a bunch of films I've worked on that I haven't even seen yet. Uh, so and it's it, it's amazing because the schedules are so fast. So one of the studios I work for is uh, Zoic Studios. Which works on everything. They they originally started with Buffy, and tr and they did True Blood and Battlestar Galactica, and they do a lot of uh, mostly episodic TV. But the the schedule is so freaking fast. Uh, I worked on a whole series, uh, a couple of seasons of uh, Once Upon a Time, where you know, okay, we have this week we have a dragon that we're supposed to be putting in the end of this, you know, in this episode. Well, typically, if you're talking ILM uh, and you're going to put a dragon. In a bunch of shots, you've got a team of you know twenty guys at least uh, working about a month. We have maybe five, and you're given one or two weeks. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> and you know there's some phenomenal artists, and they really you know they really do top notch work. 
But anytime you see bad, bad visual effects, it's usually because, you know, it's it's not because of the software and it's not because of the talent that's out there. It's usually because of the uh, the limitations that are given to any film. And uh, post-production is usually pushed to the very last thing. So it's the thing that gets most squeezed. You know, what you have, what, what you would typically have uh, two months for, all of a sudden is like, well, you know, we've got a release date. And this is the last thing that has to be done. And it comes out in two weeks as opposed to two months. Well, you just have to get it done. Yeah. So that's why there's insane schedules. You'll, you'll, you'll find people working, you know, 14, 16, 20-hour days seven days a week for a month and a half is not unusual. It happens all the time. Um, so crazy, crazy schedules. And, uh, and Star Wars wasn't as bad as some. Riddick was terrible. <laughs> Riddick was, was, it? was that one of the worst Riddick, ones? Yeah. You know, it was it, not a very good film either. But, you know, it, just the schedule was just insane. That's going to be, as well as being so stressful for you when that pressure's put on you when you've got the you know the release dates coming up so quick it's got to be yeah. so frustrating for you as well when the final movie comes out knowing that if you you know you and the team had been given you know that bit more time oh the, yeah the, and you, and you know as the audience doesn't know any of this so they they see visual effects and sometimes you know you'll see a like a, a transformers or something like that it's like oh that's crap <laughs> that's crap <laughs> it's like i had to create a robot out of nothing you know in a week Dude, chill. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember where I was working on X-Men 2 at uh, Cinesite. And, you know, here we are working on a shot and it's like, it's coming out next week. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, my like, God. I mean, seriously, they cut it super close back in the, and this hasn't changed at all. I mean, back in the day when I was working at PDI, we were working on one of the, uh, uh, I think it was uh, one of the David, David Rern videos. And, it came down to the wire. Like they were going to broadcast it that night. We were still working on it in the afternoon. It was like, they were going to pull the broadcast van out front and just like have us, you know, throw it from the third floor and, you know, let them catch it and throw it in a, in a machine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, and, and especially now because there's a lot of outsourcing going on, you know, there's millions and billions of people now that the software is so accessible and everybody's getting up to speed on it. Yeah. Um, you, you have, I had, I had a buddy who, uh, who asked if I wanted to go help him with teach a class in China and it was for dynamics and, uh, special effects and visual effects. And, and I, you know, I, for some reason either I was busy or just, you know, didn't really appeal to me, but he came back and he was kind of shell shocked and he said he was expecting to go into a classroom with maybe 30, 40 people and, you know, teach this class. He came out into an auditorium of 600 people. Oh, 600 wow. artists, all learning visual effects. And, you know, so he was training up this entire army that's basically going to replace us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And that's just China. I mean, there's, you know, there's 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 Mexico and South America and, you know, and, 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 and you know, just just tons and tons of people getting trained up in visual effects, which is fantastic because, you know, it's it's there's so much of it nowadays. But it means that anyone who's working in L.A., who's working behind a box, basically, who's who's a button pusher, mm -hmm. uh, their days are limited. So this is why I've chosen to, you know, undertake. It, it, it's very much an apprentice system in L.A., uh, whether it's stunts or visual effects. You know, going in, if you're going to start at the base level as a stuntman or a visual effects artist, you're hoped to be a lead or a stunt coordinator at some point. Yeah. 
uh, and or lead visual effects artist. And then your next step is uh, for visual effects, it's going to be a supervisor. And you go from supervisor maybe then to like second unit director of visual effects, you know, uh, uh, for bigger uh, visual effects supervisor for like bigger films. And then eventually you make the transition to uh, to a director. So you kind of work yourself up. And that's that's how that's why I uh, ended up uh, directing my own feature, you know, a couple years ago. And we just now finished it up. You know, you do whatever you can to get out from behind the box and then to differentiate differentiate yourself from, you know, the masses of people who are being trained up now. Yeah. And the only other and the only other thing that'll separate you is is your resume. And I've got, you know, I've got plenty of films and stuff, but the software changes every day. And so it there's there's kind of a balance between yes, we want the people who, you know, who have experience. But you also need to know the software and you also need to know the technology and that changes on a daily basis. So it's a lot of catch up. Mm. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? You could spend you could spend a, a lifetime just trying to keep updated with just one form of the software. Yeah. Uh, you know, then because they're so in-depth and again, like you mentioned, they're so accessible now and more right. people have got access to it. So, yeah. you know, t- to stay on top of the game with everything, it's just... It's it's never ending. So, like you said, the process that you that you've gone through, and you know you've taken all mm-hmm. these different steps, and you've created this. I mean, again, you you look at your CV, and it's it's <laughs> impressive to say the very least. Well, one of the things I do is, you know, I try to I, I compare visual effects to driving a car. You know, you 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 drive a car to get to places. You know, you don't necessarily need to know how the engine works, every little piece, every little nut, every little bolt. You know, and if you try to break down Maya, for instance, and if you try to learn every little section of it, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna be swamped. You're gonna be overwhelmed. Uh, and it's there's very few few people that can do everything. Generalist. Mm. And uh, and I I kind of I'm a, I, I work as a generalist, which means you can model, you could light, you could animate, you can texture. But you know, there's specialists in all of those fields, just like. Same way for stunts. There's specialists who light themselves on fire or drive cars or, or whatever. Uh, there's uh, there's so much involved in each of those disciplines that uh, you know it, there's there's very, it's very much a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> <laughs> but still, and that's kind of where I'm at. But having said that, I mean you're very humble saying that. Having said that, when you say jack of all trades, the the level you've got to get up to to be that jack. Is is really high when you're working within Hollywood, especially. Yes. Um, th- before we move on, I want to move on from visual effects in a few minutes. There's a couple of things I've got to ask you. The first one, you know, you mentioned about the crunch time and how frustrating it can be. Can you remember the effect or effects where you had the most time to work on? Well, you know, it's funny because you know I'll go back to uh, the shot from American Beauty, uh, and that that shot took me like a week. To do it wasn't a very special shot, but the fact that it became an iconic shot, uh, you know, it, it stays in people's memory. But we had six months to work on that shot. Supposedly, wow. I like to crank stuff out and get it right the first time and just get it done. But politics being what they were, uh, we had a visual effects supervisor that was like, you know, uh, well, you know, I think what it needs is this, or I think, you know, and this was basically the animation that I came up with. Uh, and he's like, well, let's try, th- let's try this, let's try that. Let's, 
So 87 takes later, six months later, we're still, you know, and it's gotten to a point now where it's just, it looks terrible. (laughs) It it absolutely looks like nothing I came up with. And, uh, and and so I get to a point that, um, you know, and we've gotten so far from the original that I just, I took the original animation that I did and slipped it in there. And uh, and the the supervisor actually said is like, well, there you go. That looks perfect. Why didn't you do that to begin with? <laughs> so, so yeah, so that could be frustrating as well. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's a trade off. You know, if you work in in feature films, you could be, you could spend uh, like a year working on King Kong's left toenail. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, and if you work in, uh, episodic, then that's way faster than you, you, you know, than you're, you're working on a dragon in a, in a couple weeks. Yeah. And then the next, an entire dragon animated and everything else. And then if you're working in commercials, they, those go really fast. And, and that's really insane. Commercial work is just, and I just finished working on a commercial. It wasn't too bad, but a lot of times, um, you've got a lot of ad executives, who are, uh, you know, they're, they're, commercials is a big part of the world for them. So every little, every little pixel is very important. <laughs> <laughs> every color adjustment, every tweak, every tire, every, you know, if you're doing a car commercial, we were doing an AT&T commercial where, oh yeah, well, here I am talking about companies. But, uh, but yeah, there was an AT&T commercial where we we're, Jets were flying around and they were creating cloud patterns in the sky that looked like the AT&T logo. And, you know, I had to find a background plate for this, you know, out in the desert. And I found a background plate and they were like, well, we need to get that approved through AT&T because they need to make sure that you can get service there. <laughs> and I'm like, well, these are planes. They're, they're not on their cell phones in the plane. You'd hope they are went. you kidding me? <laughs> so, so that's the kind of stuff you have to, you know. So it's a trade-off, and, and a lot of people will bounce back and forth from from commercials to features to episodic, depending on how much time they want to spend on a on a certain gig. Uh, I spent uh, like a month and a half on uh, on Star Wars, which is really bizarre. This was a show that they couldn't. They called me up and asked me if I wanted to work on the film, and but they couldn't tell me what they were working on. Oh, okay. And, how did he like, word it then? <laughs> yeah, he's like, how would you like to work on this film that's coming up? And I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, well, we can't tell you that. <laughs> well, I don't just work on any projects now. You know, it's like it's it's good money, but you know, I I kind of want to make sure that this the projects that I work on are are going to be halfway decent. They're like, well, no, this is going to be a good. I think this is going to be a good show. It's going to be a big show. It's actually one of the biggest shows that's coming out December, and. You know, without having to say Star Wars. And it was like, well, there's only one that's coming out in December that's really the biggest. Like, yeah, that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you said so, yes, of course. So I said yes, but the secrecy on it was insane. You couldn't bring your cell phones in. You couldn't actually say, if you were working on a shot that involved Han or Leia, you couldn't actually say the words. You had to say he or she. And, you know, it was it was it was to a point I actually signed an NDA that says I can never actually say what I did on Star Wars. Oh, my word, because I was going to ask you that. actually. (laughs) I can never actually say what I did or use any of the footage for any of my reels. 
And I was like, are you got, you got to be kidding me. It was like, no, 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 this is absolutely, if you want the job, that's, <laughs> that's part of the deal. So yes. Oh, that's a pain. You worked on Star Wars and you can't use it on your reel. <laughs> exactly. And that's all I can say. But yeah, that's one of the things that's per- pervasive right now in uh, in the industry is this crazy ass NDAs, the yeah. secrecy that's behind these films. Because if it comes out that Wonder Woman's outfit looks like crap, well, the entire thing gets you know there's this audience response, and then the entire thing gets shelved. Wow. So it's made it harder for visual effects artists because now they're cracking down. They usually, if you're working in a visual effects studio you will need like access to plugins and to like if you have if you run into problems you'll run into web pages you'll find web pages where if someone has solved the problem or you'll have like reference footage that you can use for explosions or whatever and they've now because the studios are so worried about secrecy they've cut all internet access so if you go to most studios now they have no way to actually re- use these resources Oh, which is ridiculous. Word. That's crazy. Yes, it, it is ridiculous. And it costs the studios because if you have a texture painter sitting there and he's like, well, I have to paint this whole mountainscape, but you know, usually what they do in Photoshop, they grab a picture of a mountain from the internet and you grab something else and they put it together. It was like, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to freehand this. It's going to take <laughs> me an extra couple of weeks, but that's the deal. So, so that's kind of the, uh, some of the, uh, conflicts that we face in the visual effects industry right now there's you know there's a huge outsourcing of of jobs that are that are running away um there's still work in in la but uh it's changing it's changing drastically i guess i shouldn't ask you then if you're involved in the latest star wars movie (laughs) (laughs) well i am involved in star wars actually right after that i got a call to do a lightsaber fight uh, this is so bizarre, but I'm not allowed to talk about that either. <laughs> oh, you tease. <laughs> I swear to God, it's like, I can't talk it and I'm working for Disney again, but I can't talk about it. It's not for the movie, but it's something very, very cool. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we'll leave the listeners hanging on that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that does segue um, quite nicely, actually, because, again, if we keep IMDb as the hub, yeah. um, your, 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 your second your second big, biggest lot of credits is your stunt work that you do. Yeah. Um, and again, you, you mentioned uh, um, briefly when we talked about the effects work that you do, uh, part of the stunt work and that you're known for and that you're, you're a specialist with as well is, um, and it does tie into light, lightsabers, is, is the sword play that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, can you give the listeners a bit of a flavour of how did you how did you get involved with that? I mean, because that's not sort of an everyday thing where you go, oh, I'm going I'm to pick up a sword. Uh, you know, something I I got into swordplay through music. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I I was I was a I was a uh, part uh, computer programming major, and I also liked music, so I was uh, I was part uh, I, I was on a music scholarship in my first year in college, uh, playing trumpet. And uh, at some point in time, I was like, you know, this is crazy. I had 21 credits of all music, and that's not what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, But I had a fantastic music professor who, you know, who was responsible for my for my uh, um, scholarship say, listen, you don't have to take all of these classes. All you have to do is take one class. 
and you can keep your scholarship. Oh, and the nice. class, and it was because he needed a trumpet player to play something called a zinc. Now, this is an early Renaissance trumpet, and it sounds like a cat in heat. <laughs> <laughs> but he needed someone to play this for his early music consortium. So this is early music, and one of their, and, and uh, so I conceded, and, and it was it was a lot of fun. And one of the, the one of the things they did is they would play out at Renaissance fairs. And so that was the first time I had gone to a Renaissance fair. Okay. And here I am in this silly ass costume <laughs> playing with an early music <laughs> consort. And one of the attractions there, this is in Miami. One of the attractions, one of the big main attractions was something called the, the living chess game. And there they had a group of people. So this is me right out of high school. And they had a group of people who were, you know, guys who were my age. And living chess game is basically a, it's, it's played on this huge, 40 foot square chessboard and when one piece goes to take and there are people playing the, the pieces when one piece goes to take another everybody clears off the board and the two fight to the death for the square oh wow and it's all choreographed combat but the here's where kids like my age and they were doing basically they were doing stunts they were doing sword fighting and it was like this is absolutely the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> And I ditched the early music consortium, you know, for <laughs> to do. And I don't know what happened to my scholarship. I think he, still, he got me to keep my scholarship, but uh, but I jumped into this group and I jumped to it, into it with my brother, with Stuart. Yeah. And you know, and actually, my brother was more of a bookish guy at the time. He was he was more into you know uh, uh, plays and and reading and writing and all of this. And I actually brought him to the Renaissance Fair. He's he like, look at this. This is so incredible. I'm going to do this. And he's like, that is fantastic. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> and I was all jealous. I was like, you can't do this. This is my thing. So, I mean, in a small part, this this leads to him becoming shotgun. It's like yes. shotgun Jones at some point. Because he had never experienced, you know, doing stunts and stuff like that. But this is basically where we began. And it was a group called the Royal Chessmen. It's out of Miami. They're still, to this day, uh, doing chess games and uh, living chess games. And, and they still have a group in Miami. Uh, but we were part of this. We thought, you know, okay, we're going to get part of, be, become part of this group. And maybe, you know, in a in a in like a year or so they'll let us be part of the show and within two months we had trained up in sword play and we were actually directing one of their shows <laughs> so we came up with this whole arthurian age chess game which had merlin and fireballs and you know just a crazy ass you know it was a wonderful wonderful time and it was the best experience for you know for like budding stuntmen because their whole their whole philosophy philosophy was you know you, you fight hard die well and <laughs> you know two main rules don't hurt anyone and number two don't get hurt um, so it was a spectacular very creative very safe atmosphere for for learning all of this stuff but we noticed that you know no one had ever actually gone beyond this you know? <laughs> like most of the people who do run fairs stay in run fairs. And, and I was just, you know, I started taking gymnastic classes and, you know, and, and uh, martial arts. And I like, think I had no idea I wanted to be a stuntman, but it just seemed really cool. And it wasn't until my brother came out to L.A. And the next thing you know, he, he sort of uh, traded in the sword fighting uh, for, you know, and he's a brilliant actor, too. And the next thing you know, he's starring in this show, Shotgun. 
<laughs> as you know, as this action star. And I'm like, well, hell, if he could do it, <laughs> I should be able to do this too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I, you know, after I, I did a couple other things in Miami, I was a, a entertainment director for a theme park called pirates and we did swashbuckling there and, you know, did a few things, but I realized, you know, as an actor, especially there was not much future for me staying in Miami. This was about the time of Miami Vice. Okay. And uh, and the best I could do to get a role in Miami Vice is just extra work. All of the parts were being cast from L.A. Oh, so it was okay. like, God damn it. I got to go to L.A. <laughs> to work in my hometown? All right, fine. <laughs> so I came to – that's when I came to L.A. And, you know, we are going kind of historically sequential now. But, uh, yeah, that's when I came to L.A. And the next thing, you know uh, – my brother and I ended up uh, working on a uh, on, uh, on one of the biggest features in town because he needed a lot of sword guys. Uh, we ended up working on Hook for uh, for like six months. So we got to I got to meet virtually every stunt coordinator in the business on that show. And at the same time we worked on Hook, we were uh, we were moonlighting uh, literally on uh, on a show called Army of Darkness. So two classic classic films, and yeah. we got to meet all of these people do sword fights for movies. And that kind of set us off on our path. Um, from there, I, I was still doing extra work and I got really frustrated very quickly. Like it, it just wasn't moving fast enough for me. So uh, Stu and I actually wrote a script called Cutthroat, uh, a film that we were intending to direct and produce and, and just a low budget film, action or film. And, uh, and he was kind of dragging his feet on this. Oh, <laughs> It wasn't going fast enough for me. And, you know, in truth, it never actually got made. Uh, uh, but it got rewritten at least a million times. <laughs> so instead, I went and wrote a film called Ring of Steel. Yeah. And this is a modern day sword fighting film um, that uh, I took about a year. I took two weeks to write the, the, the film and then another, you know, six, eight months to do all the rewrites and four drafts. And finally uh, found a way to sell this thing. And we found a producer of many an action, an 80s action flick called Shapiro Glickenhaus Entertainment, SGE. And they had a deal with MCA Universal to distribute their films. And they needed several films a year. Uh, and, uh, and they latched on to this and they said, this, this looks great. They gave us a couple million dollars to shoot it. So I got to star in this film. I do now. This is I. I am definitely going to come back to this because, as you mm -hmm. well as you well know, Bob, myself and Tina watched Ring of Steel just a, oh, a, good God. <laughs> a few nights ago because I, yeah, I've had it in my DVD collection for a while now, and yeah. of, of course, knowing that I was going to chat with you tonight, I thought, yeah, we'll sit down and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I, let me tell you, it's a much different film from the one I had written. I because, believe so. Yeah. Yeah, because when I came in there. Uh, everyone said this is a fantastic, wonderful film, except the executive producers really wanted their hand in uh, the creative aspects of these <laughs> of, the, of their shows. The original script was written more like a deer hunter. So my character uh, gets drawn into this this uh, uh, sword fighting fight club, basically. And and his girlfriend is captured and held hostage and all of that kind of kind of plays out the same way. Although the character that I was playing starts enjoying it. And this was the, the original script. The, the deviation is more like a deer hunter. He starts enjoying it. 
because he's he has to take drugs to 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 actually be able to kill people and people died in the ring very grisly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sword fighting; it's got to happen. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so he's taking drugs to do this, but he's winning a lot of money and, you know, and he just sort of loses, completely loses track of why he's there. So when his girlfriend is finally, finally freed and she goes to rescue him, he doesn't even recognize her. Uh, and so it's a very, very dark, it's, it's, it's actually told from my character's perspective in a jail cell waiting on death row because he has killed this character Jack in the end of uh, end of the film in a very bloody way. So <laughs> so so this didn't fly with the executive producers for for whatever they loved the the script when we first came in but they decided to rewrite it. Um they handed it off to some other writer who got paid 10 times as much as I did for the script and came up with something that was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> absolutely unwatchable. So they decided to go back to my script and have our director rewrite it uh, with their input. So it, it, you know, it, 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 it really, it wasn't the script I intended, but at some point in time I was like, okay, you got to bite the bullets, your first project, go for it. Let it (laughs) just let it go. But it's difficult playing. Not only as a writer watching your, your, your writing just completely tossed out, but then having to play a character in the script that's, that has been rewritten and say these lines Cause you're like, I don't want to say this line. This is stupid now. <laughs> and again, yeah, that's, I mean, that that's going to be so frustrating on so many different levels, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as a writer and a, as an actor that yeah. so much is taken mm-hmm. out, out of your hands due, you know, due to the system as it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing I, you know, I got immediate exposure to was the fact that, uh, you know, it was the name game. Because to sell any action film in that day and age, you needed a name. And here I was. They were taking a chance on me starring in this film. I'd never starred in a film before. Our director, <coughs> excuse me, Dave, uh, David Frost, had only directed one other film before. And it was like Barbarian Queen 2. <coughs> Our producer had never actually produced a film before. So we needed to have some sort of name going for us. And the name I came up with for the man in black, the guy who is supposed to run this ring and be a very menacing. And, you know, I was hoping that this guy was an old swordsman as well. And he had a European, you know, distinction about him and an accent perhaps. And I was thinking Christopher Lee would be absolutely perfect for this. Mm Got to remember, this is before Star Wars. This is before Lord of the Rings. This is before the only thing that Christopher Lee had done at, you know, before that was like three Musketeers and Dracula. And he had been out of the business for like 10 years. So, And they were like, uh, who is this? We don't even know who this is. No, 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 no. We'll get David Hasselhoff. We'll start this thing. <laughs> and you know him, don't you? And I've actually doubled David a couple times. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Not David. No, please, no. <laughs> and they're like, how about Robin Williams? He'll do it as a lark, you know, because we just worked on Hook. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's like, but I understand their side of it now. It's just like, it is not about... The, it's not about who's right for the role. It's who can get box office dollars into, you know, it's an investment for them. Yeah. It's what it comes down to. Uh, but it was, it was, a, it was a rude awakening for me. It was just like, you know, and, and now of course, if you try to get, you know, Christopher Lee, who's Christopher Lee, he, he has passed, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. So, Unfortunately. Like, oh yes. yeah. I'm talking about it in present tense, but yeah, so many people have passed this year. Oh yeah. Um, 
but but you know if he, if we had gotten him at that time you know before he'd done lord of the rings and everything else that, that film would be huge you know there's so many missed opportunities in la and this is the other thing i usually tell people who are who, are, who get very frustrated in this town because everybody has that story of you know oh i could have i should have you know i could have the very first day in uh in la I had uh, I, I had told my brother, I was like, you know, well, this is a place where you get discovered. You could just get discovered on, you know, standing on Hollywood Boulevard, you know. He's like, he's trying not to get my hopes up, you know, and he's, he's saying, no, don't, you know, it's it, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. But I signed up for an extras agency and he went with me and the extras agencies out here. Basically, you show up and there's like 100 other people in a room. They take your Polaroid, they put it in a file somewhere and maybe they'll call you. But as I'm signing up for this thing, uh, this agent comes out of the back room. The student didn't see this at the time, but the agent comes right up to me and says, after you sign up, I need to see you in the office right away. <laughs> and it was that moment. You know, it was that, holy shit, what the hell just happened? But Stuart, <laughs> my brother, didn't see this. So after everyone filed out of the room, I said, I looked at my brother and I said, you know something? I think you need to be more proactive in this time. <laughs> I think I'm going to walk right back there into the office and just tell him, you know, and he's like, no, 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 you can't do that. It's like, no, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I walk back into the office. I sit down in front of this agent, you know, my brother's freaking out, but I sit down in front of the agent and he says, we need you. You're perfect for this. And it, and it's actually a role and it's, you know, because extra work is just staying in the background, but it's like, no, this is a role and it's for a new TV series that's coming out and you would be absolutely perfect for this episode. And I'm like, ah, and they told me the date when it was shooting. And I was like, I'm in town for this show. Uh, and it was a stage show called Ring of Steel. And that was the night of our tech rehearsal. One and only tech rehearsal. Whoa. And I was like, I can't miss this. And I have to pass. And he's like, you, you what? You can't pass on this. This is, this is a huge opportunity. He's like, yeah, but I've already made a commitment. So, and I, and you can guess all day long what the show was, but it was basically, that was Next Generation. That oh, was their first, that was their word. first season. And I don't know what episode it would have been on or if it was a recurring character or whatever, but that was my first missed opportunity. Oh, wow. And then right after Ring of Steel came out, um, I was, I got a new agent and uh, uh, Joe Don Baker, <laughs> that's who we ended up with, by the way, instead of Christopher Lee, uh, <laughs> Joe Don Baker. <laughs> Um, actually nice, great guy. And he set me up with his agent, uh, artist agency. It was a very big agency. And they sent me out on, on, on an audition and they said, uh, this is a, uh, this is a feature film. It's a, a sword fighting. And, you know, I, I they thought I was going to be perfect for it. And I was like, no, it's this, you know, it's, it's supposed to be this he man character. They want this big, you know, muscle guy. And I'm not a big muscle guy and I don't want to embarrass the agency. And they're like, no, 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 no. They just want a regular guy. Just go audition. And then I took a look at the script and it was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so atrocious. And I was just like, and I talked around town. There's other people who had passed on this thing too. And I was like, no, I, I'm, I'm going to have to pass on this thing. I just can't, I can't do it. <laughs> and that of course became Hercules legendary journeys. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you never know, you never know in, in LA. Um, and actually one of the things Hercules was, a feature film first. And I don't know if you saw the first episode, which was basically the pilot. This was before Sam Raimi picked it up and it was terrible. <laughs> it was absolutely atrocious. 
But at the time, there was a Saturday morning uh, packaging deal going around called Action Pack. And what they do is they would take feature films from that day and time, and they would package them and put them on Saturday mornings. So they were looking for, you know, crappy action films that they could, you know, they could, <laughs> they could, they could kind of bundle and put on Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. And they were looking at Ring of Steel. They were looking at our film, but they were looking at Hercules at the same time. And they were like, well, we can't really figure out how to expand on uh, a fight club. <laughs> <laughs> but here's this, you know, legendary journeys of Hercules, and he could go all over the place and we could shoot it in New Zealand. He's like, this would be great. Okay. So that's that's how things panned out there. <clears throat> wow. What a story. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's, you know, you're, you're in Hollywood for a while, long enough and you got lots of stories. And, oh, and like I you said, there's plenty of missed opportunities. Um, I missed out on being on, uh, I was trying for the longest time to be on uh, Highlander, the TV show. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew, uh, I knew the coordinator, Braun McGash, and I knew the, the producer and I knew writers and, you know, and I'd been trying to get into this thing and I'd sent them my headshot and resume because the local casting director wouldn't even look at my name. And, uh, and it wasn't until I was working on some other show I was working, I was coordinating a show called tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills. <laughs> what an amazing title. <clears throat> Deke entertainment was producing this thing, but it was a long <laughs> ass day and I was working 12, 14 hour days and I got a page. This is when we had pagers and I got a page from some weird area code and I was like, Oh, I'll just return it by the end of the day. And I get home at the end of the day and, and I pick up my messages and, and it's, it's the Highlander production office. And like, this is a Highlander production office. We need to fly you. We need to contact you immediately. You need to call us right back because we want to fly you out tomorrow for a guest spot on our next episode. Uh, you know, please call us back right away. And I was like, no! <laughs> oh, if anything, you'd been absolutely perfect for. Would have yeah, been Highlander as well. Exactly. And it turned out that, you know, everybody had been pulling me for me on the show and but just, yeah, it wasn't in the cards. You know, it happens. And I figure, you know, for the people who get all frustrated in L.A. about all of this, I realized at some point, if I wasn't in L.A., and if Stu hadn't brought me out here and talked me into it in the first place, I would never have had these opportunities in the first place. Mm. So all the missed opportunities aside, the ones that have paid off, you know, I wouldn't have gotten if I had, if I was still back in Miami. I'd still be doing, you know, Renaissance fairs and 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 database programming for you know some some law firm or something. <laughs> no, that's good. Keep you know obviously keep looking at all the positive stuff that's happened as well while you've been yeah. there. But oh you, yeah, you mentioned something like about five minutes ago. It would be remiss of me if I didn't follow up on it, and I'm sure listeners will be screaming at me, <laughs> screaming at me to to ask me to follow up on this. You mentioned casually that you just sort of like doubled a couple of times for David. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask you, what what circumstances oh, was that? Good God, the first time I doubled him was my very first SAG gig, and and you would love this if you're into atrocious action. This is the quintessential, and and I actually had someone do a review of this online. Um, uh, do a review of another film, but yeah, this one, this one most definitely. Uh, it was a show called, uh, it, it was like a cross between Three Musketeers and Night Riders. Okay. <laughs> and it was, it was called Ring of the Musketeers. And it was with David Hasselhoff and John Reese davies and uh, uh, Cheech Marin, <laughs> you know, oh. Thomas Goschok. Oh, good God. This was, this was an atrocious, atrocious, <laughs> crazy ass thing. 
Um, yeah, it was descendants of the the musketeers fighting crime with swords in modern day. <laughs> and if you if you get to see this, I think it's on YouTube now. But it's just absolutely the most atrocious. But I'm doubling David Hasselhoff because it it turns out, you know, he's he's doing sword fighting in this thing. And he walked into our studio. I was working out at the West Side Fencing Center at the time. He looked me. He took a a quick look at me. He's like, "Oh yeah, you do, do perfect." Because he's had so many doubles over the year. He is exactly six foot four. He's one hundred and eighty five, one hundred ninety pounds, uh, and uh, and he, he's just like, "Yeah, you're fine. Let's go." So I so I'm sitting there in in this David Hasselhoff wig and this little soul patch that he had <laughs> for the show. And I'm looking at, I'm sitting in makeup thinking this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. And he looks at me and I think he's going to bust out laughing, but instead he looks at me and he takes, you know, he's like, you know something, this is a really good look for you, Bob. You should really consider this because I look like you, but to his, you know, and I, and I actually, years later, I doubled him on Baywatch and to his, you know, to his, to his compliment, he, he remembered me like four or five years later, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, it's a sword guy. Yeah. You showed me how to do sword fighting. So I, I taught him sword fighting on ring of the musketeers. And he remembered it years later when I doubled him on a Baywatch episode. That, that is absolutely brilliant. And it, it does, it leads smoothly because I, I was just lucky. Now there was just jumping back a bit to uh, your stunt work that you did. Obviously when you, when you're looking at titles called um, eyes of the serpent, dragon, <laughs> dragon fury, enter the blood ring. You can imagine all the stunt work you may well have had to do, <laughs> but there was a well, t- funny thing, you know, before you go on, <laughs> okay, go eyes on. of the serpent. If you cross reference my, me and Stu, Stu wrote eyes of the serpent. <laughs> Oh my God! That's oh amazing. my God! Yes, exactly. He is credited <laughs> as one of the writers on Eyes of the Serpent, and it was a oh God, who is who is producing that? That was Vista Street Entertainment. Uh, it was like a it was like a Corman wannabe, really. It is just the most atrocious thing you'll ever see. And it was just, all I can remember is sword fighting in the in the woods and having to die. And as it, you know, I get killed by this guy with this giant bucket head, uh, and. <laughs> And, I, and as I'm laying there, I'm looking out. It's like, is that poison oak I'm low at lying in? Oh, no. <laughs> I just have to kind of lie here. Yeah, sure enough, everybody got poison oak on that show. Oh, that's <laughs> bad news. <laughs> and there's plenty of there's plenty of stories from all of those shows, from Dragon Fury, which was like Dragon Fury was the first film I did after Ring of Steel. And I realized that here I was, I, I have my SAG card, but I don't have a whole lot of stuff on my on my resume. Mm-hmm. And here they were offering me, it was a non-union show, but they're offering me a starring role in, in this low-budget action film. And it's like, I've gone from a $2 million film to like a $100,000 film shot in someone's backyard. And it is, you know, it is, it is pretty atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just figure it's like, well, you know, if Schwarzenegger can do it, you know, if he could learn on the job, why not me? So, <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Fury can't be that bad, though, because it's Dragon Fury 2. It, well, you know, the reason there's a Dragon Fury 2 is because they realized, hey, we could have flashback scenes that would com- compromise half of Dragon Fury 2, have, have to shoot half of the footage, and then just come up with the other half. Yeah, that'll work. And that's that's the show. Dragon Fury 2 is where I ended up, uh, uh, actually, the entire crew ended up held hostage at gunpoint at, at one point what? in the production of the show. <laughs> What on earth happened there? Oh, God, that was a long, long story, long story. But it's just like it basically 
long story short is we, we were shooting the finale sequence up in Sunland uh, at this farmer's ranch. And the producer, the executive producer, decided not to pay the ranch owner 50, use for the use of a back, 50 bucks for the use of a backhoe uh, to, to set up one of the stunts. And this guy who was, who was Middle Eastern was like saying, no, I'm not going to pay you. I never agreed to this. You are a thief, a thief, a cheater, and a liar. And everybody's going, man, don't piss this guy off. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the ranch owner goes and locks the gate and pulls out a shotgun and holds everybody hostage. And so the police show up and tell them that you can't hold people hostage just because they owe you money. <laughs> <clears throat> so that kind of shit happens in, in Hollywood. <laughs> this just keeps getting better <laughs> oh god oh god but yeah it was like with those titles though um f from just a perspective of uh, you can imagine what sort of stunt work may well be involved um but you said you know um the two th you mentioned baywatch as well yeah i'd love to know what sort of stunt work you had to do on that when you doubled for david hasselhoff and then also because you're credited with stunt work on scooby-doo as well yeah I I, what, was, what was your stunt work on both of those movies? Okay, well, on Baywatch, I got a call from uh, um, from the uh, uh, stunt. Uh, it was the Stunts Unlimited is the group that does all the stunts for, for Baywatch. And uh, I got a call from them saying, you know, uh, our regular double for David is out sick. And, you know, I, I see that you've doubled him before. Um, you know, we've got this gag where... Uh, in uh, Point Doom, there's a 60-foot climb, uh, rock climb. And uh, uh, so we need you to climb this, 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 basically this cliff. And then there's a fight scene at the top of it. And I'm like, well, that's usually my weekend anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly the rock they were talking about. And it's like, yeah, I'm a climber. And, uh, and yeah, we actually practice fight scenes down there. So, But if you want to pay me to do that, that'd be cool, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, but the, the, the downside was is as I got there, there was no rigging. There was no, like, rock climbing. This was basically a scene where he, Hasselhoff and some girl had driven off the side of a cliff, landed in the water, uh, and, and needed to get out somehow of this box canyon. So they're climbing the side of this cliff, drenched in water, and I'm in sneakers. And, you know, so I'm pulling this girl up after me. And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a hard climb, but it's extremely dangerous. It's 60 foot. And they were like, no, 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 you only have to climb like 20 feet. It should be fine. And, you know, no one yelled cut. So basically, yeah, we made it up the side of that cliff. <laughs> um, luckily, we had a spotter cable on us. But it's one of those things that, yeah, it was it was not an easy task. And then, of course, getting to the top of the uh, top of the cliff, we have, you know, I did a whole fight scene. All of a sudden, you know, David Hasselhoff, is, who's used to like, you know, boxing kind of stuff, all of a sudden he's throwing a spinning 360 kicks <laughs> you know, martial, all of a sudden he's a martial artist at the top of the hill they're like yeah that's cool do that uh and uh, oh god well so what was the other show that you were talking about oh scooby-doo scooby-doo yeah oh god uh i was doubling matthew lillard uh who is shaggy because yeah. he's he's a tall dude and i was working for my buddies matt and shannon uh who ran a studio called uh new deal studios uh, these Matt and Shannon, uh, just a quick mention, uh, some of my best friends, I met them in Miami and Matt was a sword fighting partner that I actually brought out here, just like Stu had brought me to LA and he did extremely well. 
And he was more into, you know, and we did some sword fighting stuff together. We actually worked on Robin Hood Men in Tights together and a bunch of other things. He actually designed the ring for Ring of Steel because he was a prop and model builder. But he's, he started this whole company called New Deal Studios, which became this huge model miniatures company. And they won an Oscar a couple of years ago or last year for uh, Interstellar. And so he's done really well in the business as, <laughs> as, as well. Uh, but so basically this all was being shot at his studio and they called me in because they were like, yeah, you do climbing and stuff. Well, we have this whole sequence with Matthew Lillard, uh, who's doing climbing. So once again, I'm getting called in to do, you know, climbing, doubling and, and Matthew Lillard gets slung across this cave into a, into some warrior. Uh, so that's, that's me doing that gig. But at some point in time, they're like, they're doing inserts of all the other characters that are climbing. And they're like, well, you know, we, we need someone to double Freddy, too. You know, it's like, can you can you just like step into his warrior? Yeah, sure. Why not? So I'm like, I'm doubling Freddy. And they're like, I, I, I hate to ask you this, but, you know, we don't have doubles for Thelma and, and you know, oh, no. Daphne. So, yeah. So at some point in time, you're going to see me as all four of the Scooby-Doo gang. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that was that was just bizarre. Oh, that, I I could spend literally hours just chatting about every, everything that you've that, that you've worked on, but I do I do want to make sure that we give uh, credited time to The Hunted, um, yes, which is not only um, the movie that's been recently released, but I want to give the listeners that may well not be aware of it a little bit of the history because if I'm not mistaken, it is also the world's longest running web series as well that that is correct yeah um that is correct so, so again how did that start i know you know and again i i'm well versed in it of course but if you want to give the listeners who may well not be aware of it a little bit of the background about how it started and what it's about yeah well it's it's funny because you know people think that if you start in a movie and i'm starting a couple now uh even if they're low budget action film you're set in la Mm-hmm. It is like you're driving around in expensive cars and, you know, whatever. No, no, this is not the case. And, you know, from Stuart, that's not the case. Certainly like, do. It's, you know, I barely broke even on Ring of Steel. Actually, I think I was in the hole because at some point in time, someone came out of the woodwork and just like said, oh, you know, that was my movie. And, you know, sued us and we ended up in this whole lawsuit. So, uh, so. After that, and and, and uh, Dragon Fury, and a bunch of other th- stuff, I, you know, I've got I've got uh, like my buddy in Ring of Steel, uh, Jim Peary, uh, who plays Brian, great guy, fantastic actor, and he's been in every uh, you know late night TV show and and a ton of films. Uh, he has a real problem, you know, just like any actor in L.A., even if you're a starring actor, uh, you'll have years or you know months or years that go by where you just don't get a gig. Mm-hmm. So you have to you you'll see that you know there's 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 a reason that you know everybody has a side job you know he 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 was doing carpentry and and massage therapy and you know and and, and whatever else he could do, um, so the secret is making your own work, and that's what I did with Ring of Steel. I wrote the film, pitched it, and then starred in it. Um, so, but the problem is is getting people to give you lots of money. Because what's happened with Ring of Steel is, <laughs> is like once they give you lots of money, then they have a say in whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I started writing other projects, and uh, I, right after Ring of Steel, I had written up a project which is a, a pirate film uh, called Pirate's Blood, and I decided I was going to pitch this the same way I did Ring of Steel, 
And uh, so I went to the American film market and found a production company. But that was the same year that Rennie Harlan came out with uh, Cutthroat Island. Ah, okay. Which uh, an overpriced tank of a film, which killed the whole pirate genre for a good 15 years until Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's what happens to that project. So I'm always, you know, I'm always trying to create work. And at some point in time, you know, and we're talking about side jobs here. One of the things I, I started doing was I started teaching classes. I started teaching stage combat and sword fighting classes, mostly because I just enjoy it. It's not going to be a big money maker. I was making money doing visual effects at the time. So I started a class with Anthony DeLongis called Acting Action. And uh, and one of the things I had, I had noticed about most classes, stage combat classes, that you teach them all this technique, but you never give them actual any actual uh, uh, practical experience. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, okay, you know, what would be nice is if we, and I resurrected like the living chess games we had done way back when. So Stuart and I actually put together a couple of these and I had the class as part of a class project do living chess games. And it was a, it was a pain in the ass because <laughs> organizing those things and rehearsals and everything else was just too much. It was, it was too much work. And round about that time, um, I came up with the idea with, you know, it's a film town. L.A. is a film town. Everybody's more interested in, in movie and TV, TV projects anyway. So what if we did like a cable access show, you know, some sort of action show? And I came up with the idea of doing something like a Highlander, like a Buffy. And those were very popular at the time. And I kind of meshed the two into this vampire lore. And the idea was uh, the story behind the show is that vampires have developed an immunity to everything. So crosses, holy water, stake through the heart, you know, sunlight, all of that didn't work anymore. The only thing that could kill these guys is to, to, to cut their head off their body. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a very Highlander-esque solution to the, to the problem, but it allowed for sword fighting. Yeah. And it allowed us to shoot actually outside in daylight, you know, because now they could walk around in the day. So, uh, so I came up with the idea, and I and I figured we'd shoot a pilot for this thing at some point in time. And it was supposed to be originally a cable access show, like I said. Uh, um, but round about that time, and this is you know the internet was still in its infancy. There was this idea of doing uh, uh, web shows. And, and it, I, it, it went through several iterations of webisode and, and, uh, and internet episode. And, you know, there's all sorts of different names for it. But at the time, this was before YouTube. This was before a lot of the stuff that's in place, obviously. Uh, at the time, to market this, you actually, you had to, because everybody's on dial-up at the time. Yeah, no, no Facebook, no Twitter, nothing like this that. This is 56K modems, you know. Ooh. So everything had to be compressed down to the size. Our original show aired at, you know, and, and we put these together for no money, absolutely no money. That was a that was a rule, and they're little five to ten minute episodes, and uh, the resolution it, we went with Real Player at the time, which I don't know if it even exists anymore. But it's like the resolution, you know, nowadays the standard resolution resolution is uh, HD, mm-hmm. which is 1920 to, by 1080. Uh, pixels at the time when we released this thing on real player it was like uh like 120 pixels across <laughs> by 80 or something like that 160 by 120 or something like that yeah uh and it was just like this fuzzy postage stamp it was just virtually impossible <laughs> and action 
compresses the least, you know, well of everything. You know, that's why if you look at the dawn of uh, Internet shows, it was mostly people talking heads because that's what compressed well. Yeah. But I knew at some point in time that people, you know, this, this is the infancy of DSL. And I knew at some point in time that broadband was going to come online and that these episodes would eventually be up and they would act serve as content for a larger show. So we just kept shooting episodes and uh, and we didn't quite know when to stop. And we still hadn't shot the pilot episode because we were having so much fun shooting all these other episodes, you know, just kind of getting some experience. So it's like 10 years later and we still hadn't shot the pilot <laughs> for the show. And I realized at some point in time that I, I could expand this from just the students in the class, you know, as a class project to, well, just I know other people who are there's a there's a group called the Society of American Fight Directors. And these guys are an international organization of people who do sword fighting for for uh, for like stage plays and renaissance fairs. And it's like, here's a way I could reach out to people who are doing this stuff. Like, if I was still in Miami, I could actually shoot an episode of this show. You know, how cool would that be? So I opened it up to anyone who wanted to shoot an episode. And so not only is it the longest-running show online, it's one of the few shows, if not the only show, that that uh, uses user content. Yeah. So I mean, basically, anyone could shoot an episode anywhere in the world. I'd love to shoot an episode over here in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it for a well, while we've now. Had, we've actually had a couple episodes from the UK, uh, and we had one from South Africa, and you know, and, and I would love to see more episodes from the UK because you know, just like the locations, and you know, and, and there's you know, there's such talent over there too. I mean, I would, uh, and just making it a whole international show. I really would like a, a, a you know, having a more of an established foothold in uh, in the UK. And you've got the obviously you've got the online hub for all of this, which I'll put the uh, the link to on the the show notes uh, on our website as well, where everybody can watch all of the episodes that have been filmed so far as well. Yep, exactly. And uh, the other thing we do to promote uh, people contributing their episodes is uh, is we'll do a contest every year. And this is a this is a uh, you, you know you're not going to win a sewing machine or something like that. <laughs> I, I figured the the real incentive is cash. So you actually win a thousand thousand dollars U.S. Uh, cash for best episode, uh, five hundred for second and uh, two fifty for third, and we actually have a uh, along with that, our judges are celebrity judges, uh, professional Hollywood, uh, either stunt coordinators or casting directors or agents or what have you. And actually, one of our first uh, one of our first contests, uh, Kendall Wells. Uh, created this episode and he shot it in Portland and uh, he won first place and not only that we had a casting director who was one of our judges see him and realized he was in Portland and they were shooting a show called Leverage at the time and he ended up getting on that show and getting a SAG card because of the show that's brilliant. because of that episode so so it does work <laughs> yeah I mean that, that's what you've got to do though isn't it that's that's how it works nowadays uh, we've taken the last three years off because I went and shot, uh, eventually we got to a point, uh, the, the progression of the show was supposed to be, okay, we're going to shoot all these episodes and then we're going to go, you know, pitch this as a TV show, you know, or a cable show. Mm -hmm. And then from there, maybe go from there to like a feature film, which is the aspiration of every web show is like, we're going to get picked up and we're going to eventually do a feature film. Yeah. You know, although most people don't know what picked up means. 
It's <laughs> like they're just like someone's just going to see him. He's like, oh yeah, it's like it happens all the time, you know. Someone, you know, just going to make a feature film out of your out of your web show. <laughs> and I realized at some point, it's like, well, wait a second, I've done plenty of feature films. Why do I have to wait for a TV sh- TV show and have to deal with networks and all of that? I could just make a film. I could just make a feature film. Sure, why not? And at about that time, this was uh, back in 20, 2010, uh, about that time, Kickstarter came online. Yeah. And it became a way. And we have a fan, you know, we have a fan base, a pretty dedicated fan base. And I was like, you know something? We're going to put together a budget for an extremely low budget feature film, you know, something that we're we can afford to like pay for insurance and, and, and to do this upright and, you know, to make it look like a feature film. And, uh, and so we actually got our financing through Kickstarter and we went off and shot this thing and it, and it took, uh, and the, the whole blog for this is online too. And that was just a nightmare <laughs> because it's like, you know, shooting a film and we actually shot this thing for 20 grand, which is unheard of. You know, this is the, this is the amount of money that you would spend on craft services for a day on like Avengers, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's by no means, uh, you know, a big budget film. It is about as indie film as you can get and you've seen it. So yeah, you could, you could attest to that, but it is, you know, we, we made sure that we had a, a good script and we had a great cast. We have, you know, uh, Monique Ganderton is one of our, uh, one of our leads and she has doubled everyone from, uh, she was in X2 as, as Mystique. And she's doubled, you know, people in uh, stars and Hunger Games and, and just about every film that's out there. Uh, also listed as one of the top hottest uh, stunt women in the business. Uh, <laughs> so she she came on board and uh, and my buddy Gary Casper from Ring of Steel came on board and Anthony DeLonge came on board, you know, and and they all contributed just to, you know, just to make this thing work. So now now that the film is out. And it's now being uh, distributed to, you know, online networks, you know, Hulu, iTunes, Netflix, all of that. Um, now we're resurrecting the uh, web series again. So, yeah, we need content. We need people to send us content. And we're going to we're going to resurrect the contest again. Excellent. Uh, the deadline for this next contest is actually June 17th. So it's only a five to ten minute episode. You know, grab some vampire fangs. <laughs> if you know how to sword fight, great. If you don't, there's plenty of people around who do. So yeah, one of the things to do is like contact the uh, contact us. You know, on the on the website www.thehunted.tv. We'll repeat that a couple times. Thehunted.tv. And mm-hmm. I couldn't get .com because when we came up with the idea for this, some goober stole our .com. <laughs> So we can we we uh, we cashed in on on t- dot TV, which is a small island in the South Pacific, Tuvalu. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it comes comes from. Really? Uh, oh, wow. Yes, it does. And they get a they get a kickback every year for you know they don't I don't think they get internet. They just all of a sudden a bunch of money shows up at their you know <laughs> on their beach somewhere and just like here thanks for the use of your name Tuvalu. Yeah. T- dot TV. <laughs> <laughs> I was so looking forward um, to the release of the Hunted movie, though, that uh, the day it was released on Vimeo, yeah, uh, you could either pay to rent it and stream it, you could either pay to buy it. I That's bought, correct. I bought it on, uh, on the day it was released. Myself and Tina watched it that night as well. Um, oh, fantastic! Thank you so much. And that, that's the other thing too is just like right now, it's it's like yeah, you could either rent or buy on Vimeo. And, and I, you know, I encourage obviously people to buy because we're going to have behind the scenes stuff that's I'm working on right now. 
which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but also because that money goes towards uh, aggregators. You can't actually get onto iTunes or Netflix or any of these other uh, portals now unless you have an aggregator, and that costs money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you actually have to pay to be on those services now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody listening to this, again, the, the podcast notes for this episode, I will put a link up to my written review of The Hunted. Um, mm. And the, again, at the bottom of, of this page, I'll put up uh, the trailer to it as well. Fantastic. Uh, and again, we did. We absolutely loved it. Uh, we had a great time watching it. I think I've watched it three times up to now. And <laughs> it, it's, I, I'm going to watch it a few more times, <laughs> definitely, because there's, there's so much to enjoy from it. And again, when you yeah. see the budget from it, you did a hell of a job considering the, you know, the limited budget that you got. Well, fortunately, you know, our VFX artist was, was free. Uh, I don't know if you actually <laughs> saw, ever saw, there's a Kickstarter video that I put together for this that sold the film. And it has me just talking, you know, like most Kickstarter videos, it, you know, I came up with this idea and it's like, God damn it, now I have to do it. Uh, and it's just me sitting there talking about the project in front of a camera. But then, you know, I, I, I come in as myself behind me as the visual effects artist saying, you know, it's like, uh, you know, there's too light in here. Is there any more Mountain Dew? And then, uh, of course, <laughs> I come in as the producer and a director. I played 18 vis- different versions of myself all in the same frame. <laughs> like, <laughs> And, uh, you know, so as a visual effects artist, you know, thankfully, it's it's one of the more expensive parts of you know, film production. And fortunately, I work for free. Uh, and so that's that's a lot of, you know, what I was able to pull off on the, on the film, even though we didn't we weren't able to do a lot of visual effects because, you know, just the time constraint, you know, I'm one person. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to do a lot of crazy ass stunts because. You know, we have a lot of stunt guys working for free. We do set people on fire and stuff like that. And I do a high fall, you know, naked high, 30 foot <laughs> naked high fall. Which is crazy. But, uh, you know, I couldn't ask all my stunt guys to do like to sell out because a lot of people are working for free. And I'm like, I can't have you broken for your next paying gig. So all of this stuff, all these things that I had to deal with, including SAG shut us down our first day. Oh no. uh, Yeah, they decided to change our uh, our status, which is something they do a lot, and to hold the uh, the project blackmail for more money, and uh, and so our uh, our whole crew rallied around us, and we actually found someone to take care of the problem, and we may owe this guy a favor someday. <laughs> so that so that whole story, believe it or not, is in our blog. That's also part of this this show. It's 18 days of hell uh, producing the film. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's quite an interesting backstory. Well, I do say in my written review that the the thirty foot naked high fall that you do <laughs> is is a scene that just has me in stitches every time that I watch it. I love it. I am a golden god. You are. I think it's great. You know, I I I have money waiting for you right now, Robert. That you know, as soon as a physical disc is released with extras on as well, it's you know, count me in. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. extras are going to come on to uh, extras are going to come on to Vimeo, and since you bought it, so you'll you'll be seeing those first. Cool. Um, and then Amazon, what they do as part of their their plan is they uh, they actually cut DVDs as well. So they'll they'll once that comes online there, which unfortunately will probably be a little ways into the year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably where you where you'll see it. That's good though. I do. I do 
urge everybody that listens to us to, to go out and buy this and you know and, <laughs> and again you know support indie filmmaking as well it's very important it is and yeah and when you see it it is indie film it is you know it's this is what you can do and and hopefully you know i'm trying to get people to realize that they can create projects anyone who ever wanted to try their hand filmmaking you know, whether it be as a director or an actor or stunts or whatever, that's one of the things I created this. And I, and I see people all the time, you know, I had a stunt buddy who produced an episode and he actually coordinated the thing. Now he's a stunt coordinator, uh, because he was able to prove to people that he could do this by shooting just like a five to 10 minute episode. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been a great opportunity and it's great to hear the stories of people is just like, you know, it's daunting to them to do a really big project, but you know, maybe I can get behind this. And what's fun is, is that with just creating one episode, you could be part of a much larger thing. Yeah. You know, and they, without having to worry about creating a whole web series, you know, with, you know, building a fan base and creating a website and, you know, and everything that goes with it. It's, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of overhead. <laughs> oh, I should imagine so. Yeah. Well, uh, I wish you every success in everything that you do. I can't wait to see everything that you're involved with as well. And purely for the sake of editing um, and uh, the podcast, we'll say goodbye. Obviously, we're going to keep talking off air uh, as this <laughs> okay. finishes. But for the sake of the listeners, thank you so much, Bob. I'm sure they've thoroughly enjoyed the time listening to you. Oh, and thank you. I hope I made sense because, yeah, it's 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 kind of early morning out here. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. With the time difference on the other side of the world there. that's. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. There's so much, you know, there's so much stuff. You know, if, if you're living in L.A., every day is just like an adventure and it definitely keeps you on your toes and it keeps it very interesting. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you've been around long enough, you've got lots of stories and I do have lots of stories. Oh, you do. Well, uh, I'm sure listeners will be uh, baying for a part two with you sometime soon as well. <laughs> Bob, but thanks very much, Bob. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you, Val. <laughs> All right. Take care. The alarm bell means it's the end of another show. Uh, one filled with great stories, I'm sure you'll agree. You can get yourself some more of Robert, though, by either renting or buying The Hunted. And if you go to the podcast notes on our website, uh, all the links that you need will be on there. We can either rent or buy support indie filmmaking. Uh, the website is, of course, 60minuteswith.co.uk. There's a contact form on there where you can send us an email. You can email us direct, contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 60 Minutes With, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those are at 60 Minutes With, numerical 60, not alphabetical. So until the next episode, which won't be uh, too long, I think I'm correct in saying it could well be the monthly entertainment show, and there could well be a surprise for you all there. So keep those subscriptions active. Whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon. 